It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Plodcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine, where each week we share our adventures in the great outdoors. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm your host. And this week we head to the Yorkshire coast to explore the marvels of the RSPB reserve at Bempton Cliffs. Last spring, our good friend the naturalist Megan Shearsby met up with some of the RSPB team who managed this marvellous blend of meadows and mighty cliffs for a wildlife safari among the seabird cities there. It's a beautiful sunny day in June, which I was not expecting as it's a bank holiday. I was expecting torrential rain. And I'm at Bempton Cliffs in Yorkshire, which is an RSPB reserve. And I'm here with one of the RSPB staff members. Do you mind introducing yourself? Not at all. Hello, my name is Abby Ferrer. I'm the visitor experience manager here at RSPB Bempton. And we're looking out over a lovely field full of, well, I, I won't say what they are just yet, I'll let Abby say that, um, looking across to the sea. And I just sat on a bench and it's, it's really beautiful and stunning and I'm very, very happy right now. So Abby, can you describe what we're looking at? So yeah, so what we're looking at at the moment is sort of our wildflower grass meadows. Uh, so we've got lots of cow parsley growing, um, some pink... Uh, some red campion um, and we're looking across at the North Sea um, along the Bridlington Flamborough coastline. So what kind of species are we going to see today both in this meadow and when we head down to the cliffs? So in this meadow we may be looking enough to see sedge warblers, tree sparrows because we have tree sparrows nesting, we may see white throats, uh, lots of uh, jackdaws around as well we might see there's also lots of painted ladies which is a type of butterfly um, maybe some caterpillars some bees some beetles and then along the cliff we will see lots of seabirds so we have uh, several seabird species here breeding um, oh we have a tree sparrow right in front of us at the moment that's uh, 
always surprising us here at Bemerton. I had to do a double take when I saw one <laughs> on Monday because I was you're so used to seeing, well, not even that used to seeing house sparrows anymore because yeah. they're not that as common as they should be. But you're so used to, you know, seeing a sparrow and going, it's a house sparrow. I looked at it and I was like, hang on, that's that's not a house sparrow, that's, that's a tree sparrow. And I went to the visitor centre and I was like, did, did I just, did I actually just see a tree sparrow? And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's loads of them, a great colony here, and a few house sparrows as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... I think I've only ever seen tree sparrows like once or twice in the UK. Yeah, we do get a lot of people that come up. It's, it's quite nice when people come up and be like, oh, what have you got here? And you list the things that you might see. And when you say tree sparrows, they all get excited like you. Um, but we do have nest boxes that we monitor here as well. So we have nest bo- 80 nest boxes at the moment that we're monitoring for chicks, um, which is just fabulous to see. It's always nice to see them, hearing them call when you first arrive as well, when it's a lot quieter and less people around. It's very nice to hear. And you have got some house sparrows as well? Yes, we do have a few house sparrows, but it's mostly common, it's mostly common to see tree sparrows. We just had a flyer from a jackdaw. Jackdaw, yeah. He looked, at, well, he or she looked down at us to see if uh, we had any food, I think. Yes, they do like eyeing us up for food um, because they know we're a food source. Right, I think, I think I'm going to say that we head off for a walk through the wildflower meadow. I've seen some butterflies fluttering about um, and there's been various birds flitting about as well. So hopefully we'll see some good stuff. Yes, let's go. Right, so we've come across what I can describe as a kind of sandy number three. It's quite big and awful at distances, maybe a few metres, a couple of metres wide and a five, six metres in length. Yeah. What it's, is this? It looks more like an unfinished <laughs> McDonald's M, is how I would describe <laughs> it. Um, but this is actually very important. This is a newly built habitat and it is called a bee bank. And it is very, very important for solitary bees. So when people think of bees, they think of hives and honey and, and this, but not all bees do that. So some bees, we, ha- we call them solitary bees, and this just means that they nest on their own. They don't nest in colonies. So we've built this so they've got a safe space for them to bury themselves in, to lay their eggs, to come in and out, um, be close to it, their food source. And it's, a, it's newly built this year. And so we're hoping that um, by next year we'll have lots of solitary bees nesting in. Mm, I can see a couple of holes down there that could be potential bees. Could be potential, yeah. So we may already have a few going. Um, some of our wonderful volunteers have already spotted some coming in and, coming in and out. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, very, very hopeful this will be a great success. These are likely to be the mining bees that are going to use this. Yes. Um, different types of solitary bees as well. So... Um, We've got one that's got like a really fluffy face, a really cute fluffy face, but I can never remember the name of them. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> so all along these trees that we can see here along our nature path, we don't have many um, trees in the reserve, as you can probably see around us. Um, but these ones are very important for the tree sparrows and their nest boxes. The white throats like to be in here, blackbirds. We've had song thrush, um, super important for those small birds that people probably wouldn't associate with Bempton because Bempton, most people think that it's the puffins because everybody knows the puffins are here. <laughs> no, I hadn't clocked that it had a beautiful wildflower meadow and it's 
I just want to go and lie down in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, I won't though. I don't, I don't think the Skylarks would be happy with you if you did that. <laughs> no. <laughs> just stand at the edge and gaze longingly over it. Just spotted a bumblebee buzzing around on the... I think it's... Is this hogweed? Uh, yes, I think this one's hogweed. I'm always struggle between hog, it's hogweed, cow parsley, and then there's a third one as well that look, all look very similar. Yeah, every year I try and try to remember the different yeah. ones and then always end up forgetting by the time it gets to the next year. But cow parsley is the one that comes out first. Yes, and it's usually the tallest and it has the biggest, yeah, and it has the biggest head of flower as well. And it looks more delicate at a distance yeah. as well, doesn't it? And it here it just stands out really nicely with the red campion as well it's just the greens the pinks the whites it's just the odd I've seen a couple of yellow flowers I think they'd be buttercups amongst yeah trees. so there'll be um uh, there's cow pass not cow parsley sorry yeah cow slip as well um that are just starting um but the sedge warbler is usually here if he's calling okay, just... we can just see him oh yeah there he is Yeah, it's very, very unique. Um, he performed very well. Yeah, I like showing off. Coming up to, so did you say this was like the middle of the reserve? Yeah, it? so it's about, about middle. So Grand, we're, this is Mosey Downgate, the viewpoint, um, one of our viewpoints, and then Grandstand, which is the next viewpoint on our right, uh, is about halfway. Um, which way should we go? So it depends what you would like to see. Happy. Yeah. I'm just happy to be here. You're happy to be here. <laughs> so let's go to the left. Um, we've got Bartlett Nab here on our left. Um, which was just a short walk between Mosey and Gate. Personally, this is my favourite viewpoint. Um, I'm not going to tell you now because I would like to, if you've never been here, I'd like to hear your reaction. Okay, I'm intrigued. Yes. <laughs> so um, these three viewpoints here are all accessible. Uh, with wheelchair as well as um, mobility scooters because we'd like to, we like to make our reserve as accessible as possible mm. and the path is really good as well yeah um, and we do have motor, motor mobility scooters here to hire as well so people uh, are not able to walk as far or don't have their own access to their own we do have them free of charge here to hire we really have fun. two available uh, because nature should be available to everybody So this is my favourite viewpoint. Oh, look at that! And that is why. <laughs> um, so for the listeners, just to say, um, so we can see along all along the cliff here, and you can see as far as Flamborough Headland. And it's a great day because it's low tide at the moment, so you can see quite a lot of the rock face as, along the sea. 
and on a good day usually uh, you might see heads of seals from here now I don't know if we've seen any today but we have had reports of dolphin of harbour porpoise going past today so all along the cliff here we have our species of seabirds breeding so we have the northern gannet which is the largest there's one just oh there's a couple just in front of us yes yeah, so there's one there. yeah they're big big white birds with yellow heads uh, beautiful birds um, we then have the kittiwakes, which is the gulls that you can see that are flying around. And they're named kittiwake because of the sound they make when they call. So if maybe if the wind wasn't so bad because it's a little windy, you might sometimes you can hear them call. Um, we then have guillemots, which are a small sort of black brownish bird with a thin beak. And we have the razorbills, which are a black and white bird with a big beak. And then we have puffins. Um, which like to nest in nooks and crannies so you not, might not actually see them in the nest like you see the other birds also along these cliffs uh, not as commonly on Bempton but further down we have herring gulls breeding and shags and non-seabird wise we've got the jackdaws it's bizarre to see them just flying, flying amongst all the seabirds and be, doing seabird things as not seabirds. Not seabirds, yeah. They, um, they, unfortunately, the jackdaws do like eating eggs, mm. so it's possible they're looking out for their egg, for eggs. Tasty meal. Mm -hmm. um, and not along this viewpoint, but further along, uh, we might be able to see fulmers nesting as well. Ooh, I do love fulmers. Fulmers are beautiful birds with their big stretched wings. And then these are rock doves in front of us? Uh, either pigeons or rock doves. Yeah. It's, they're very similar <laughs> now. On without dropping everything. Yeah, that is an art, really. There's quite a lot of them. Um, well, they've just flown off now, but there's a few kittiwakes coming up onto the grassy area. What are they doing there? Yeah, so when they're on the grassy area, you might even see the gannets do it, um, and the kittiwakes as well. So behind the nature reserve, we have fields, um, and sometimes you'll see the kittiwakes flying over the paths into the fields collecting grass and soil and this is them collecting nesting material and gannets do the same too but gannets tend to stay on top of the cliff because they're too heavy to take off from land so unlike the kittiwakes um, so but that's what you're seeing you're seeing them built collecting things for their nests so they're still at the start of their nesting season here kittiwakes yes so kittiwakes they only really started doing the nest building a few weeks ago but uh, gannets, it tends to be the younger birds that are collecting materials now. And they also just keep adding to their nests as well, so if they get damaged, to keep their, keep their young safe. How far along are the puffins and the guillemots and razorbills? So we've had reports today, this morning, of some guillemots and razorbills having chicks. So if we're lucky, we might see them, but they're very difficult. You have to sit and watch them for a while. It's not, it's not a quick game. Uh, looking out for chicks and the puffins two days ago we had a report of a puffin bringing in sand eels and this is a sign that it probably has a chick because they only bring sand eels in when they're feeding their young yeah. and sand eels just a small fish and they can fit a surprising number of sand eels yes, in their beak yes i think the record was is over 190 or something in, in one there. beak in one beak yeah <laughs> surprisingly because they with puffins they have like serrated beaks where they can slot all the sand eels in that's just amazing that is the kittiwake calling now 
I do find it very hypnotic to be by the cliffs when all the birds yeah. flying about. Um, this is why this is why this is my favourite viewpoint because you can just see all the birds. They they although they look like little white dots, the ones further away, it's just magnificent watching them fly. Just in case the albatross is flying around and I managed to. <laughs> well, yes, you suppose you could, but um, it's still it's quite far away because it's uh, three or four viewpoints away uh, where he usually lands. It usually lands. Yes, and the problem is the albatross is a big black bird, big black wings, and juvenile gannets are big and black as well. And then we also have the greater black back ball. So how many birds would you say there are on the reserve? So uh, I'll stick to seabirds. So stick to seabirds, yeah. All the birds. <laughs> so um, at the moment we're doing a count. So we do a full colony count all the way from Flamborough North Landing, South Landing, sorry, all the way to Filey, and we do a full colony count of all the birds. And currently that is underway. So I can't say exactly how many numbers there are now because... We're just counting them. And essentially that is our site manager and um, a few of the team there out on a boat with binoculars, spending all day on a boat counting the birds. Um, and they're out today, so maybe we'll spot them, but who knows? I was going to say, I like, that's a, that's a lot of birds to count. It yeah. It be really difficult because you... It's going to be quite an estimate because it's going to be birds that are flying around, birds that aren't here because they're out fishing. Yeah, so they started counting last week. Um, they had to stop for a couple of times because of the weather. Um, but they... Because it was a bit choppy. And uh, looking through binoculars on a choppy sea <laughs> is not a pleasant experience. I feel ill just thinking just about thinking it. Just thinking about it. <laughs> now, so I brought my trusty card out here because all our volunteers have cards because numbers aren't always best. So I've brought mine out with me to let you know in 2017 how many birds were counted. Ah. Um, and that will give you a rough, rough estimation now. So just under 300,000 birds were counted. Oh. So to be exact, that's 298,544 birds. And that's a lot of birds. Now, not all of the birds are counted on an individual. Some of them are counted um, with something called apparently occupied nests. And that's where they count the pairs. Ah. So the kittiwakes, for example, you won't count them individually. You'll count how many nests there are. Yeah. So then you'll know that that's a pair. Yeah. And you estimate this way. Um, the gannets is the one that we have the most of. So we have 18,000 birds, gannets. So we have quite a lot of gannets. Yeah, when you look out over this viewpoint, they're definitely the ones you can see the most of. Well, they are the biggest as well, so they have a six-foot wingspan. Six foot? Yeah, just, just under, just over two metres, just under two metres. So those two gannets, and they're um, one less than five years, one mm -hmm. is over five years. Yeah. They're, well, basically hitting their beaks against each other. Yeah. It's, What's happening there? It's sort of their way of communicating with each other. Um... So if they're a breeding pair, they have a dance. They do this lovely dance with themselves, and this is them mimicking that. So it's possible that the one that's less than five years is potentially trying to practice breeding, and then the other one that's five years has probably not found a mate yet. They have lovely eyes as well. If you get your binoculars on them, they have lovely blue eyes. Do they have the same mates every year or do they switch up? Yeah, they tend to mate 
Um, see, most seabirds mate with the same mate every year, uh, and a lot of them actually use the same nest as well. Some grass in front of us. Yeah, they get muddy as well. If it's been rainy and horrible, they come. You know that beautiful white feather look comes back all muddy and horrible. Um, so this way you can see Filey, which is the beach just in front of us, and then on a very very good day you can see Scarborough. You could just see Scarborough now, just oh yeah, out. Oh, oh, that's going to be confusing. It's a goldfinch <laughs> toy making that noise. <laughs> very cute actually, I might get one for my niece or nephew. Sorry. <laughs> Down here. And this one. Ah, you can actually see the kittiwakes. You know how oh, I was yes. describing? Is this is the kittiwakes collecting oh, in the fields. I'm just going to stop because I need to... Binoculars, can't yeah. do it at the same time. Um, oh yes, look at them. So this is them collecting grass and mud and we call it the kittiwake motorway. <laughs> They come and go, and it can be hundreds at a time, which is very impressive to see. Again, I can hear another skylark, but it's yeah. always the case of trying to spot them. Like yeah, small these small the birds just love calling and being loud, but you can never hear them or see them. Somewhere there. Yeah. Oh, oh, just as I gave up, I spotted it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, something's making a noise down there. Uh, that's the kitty lane. I'm glad you went for that impression and not me. Oh, it's my favourite thing to do with children. I'm like, can you hear that kitty? Can you do it? <laughs> and if you look out of water as well, um, so you can see them all rafting on the water as well. So, benefits of the listeners what is rafting so rafting is uh, when they just sit on sea and they're resting either they've just flown off the cliff and they're having rest or they've just come back and they're having a rest before they go up um, and this is actually how we count the puffins so when they're in when they're just coming in uh, for the first sort of start of the breeding season they all sit on the water before coming up to the cliff and that's how we count them um, but we always tell, so at the moment there doesn't seem to be many puffins on the cliff. I didn't actually look at Bartlett. Um, I'm not spotted any. The problem is, is they blend in very well, uh, but yes, they don't seem to be on the cliff today. So I always recommend when people come is to have a look in the water, because they might be sat in the water. You have to look for their orange beak and white face. Oh, I saw one flying. Yeah, they're very distinctive when they fly because they put their orange feet out. They look a bit funny when they fly. Yeah. Oh, there's one that's just flown. You can see its orange feet. Oh, yeah. White face. Um, so that's um, quite high up? Uh, yes, so 
they follow the adults essentially so the adults show them how to do it so they can trust that um, for example the guillemots I have seen guillemots fledge uh, and the guillemot adults jump and then the chicks are a bit hesitant and then they jump after a while and they tend to do it in bulk so quite a few of them go at the same time because it's safety in numbers and presumably it's generally successful they manage to get their wings out and fly yeah yeah and if they don't the lower ones they'll just fall in the water um, but they tend to be fine falling in because they're, they're gannets especially are fatter than they adults when they fledge so they can't actually fly when they fledge and, and that's because when they go out to water they it's quite a technique to learn to feed so they fat the adults fatten the gannets up so that they're overweight so it doesn't matter if they don't find food for a few weeks Oh, and then they lose weight um, and that's similar with the other birds not quite to the extent so they fatten them up so it doesn't matter if they don't find food, food the first gannets in particular like they just dive into the water at such a speed and such they a force do, yeah. they look like torpedoes when they hit the water because they bend their wings back and it's very impressive to see and um, a lot of people ask why we can't see them diving from the cliffs um, and it's just because they go further out However, sometimes you do see them, and Filey Brig, which is the bit that's pointing out near Filey, if you stand on the edge of Filey Brig, you can see them diving off there because it's a bit deeper. <laughs> but the reason I'm here, not just to see the beautiful cliffs of Bempton and the beautiful seabirds, but the very special visitor of the black bat—I can't even say it—black browed albatross. Tell me a bit more about that bird. So yes, the black browed albatross is uh, seems to be a frequent visitor now. So he was first sighted very briefly in 2016. Uh, he then first landed in 2017, but only for a few days, weeks, if I remember rightly. Um, last year was an unusual one because he landed in June and stayed here until September. And then this year is even more unusual because he arrived in Easter. Uh, and the reason why this is very unusual is because albatross are a southern hemisphere bird. So we're in the northern hemisphere. And these are found in the southern, southern hemisphere. So Antarctica, New Zealand, the Falkland Islands. This is where you're going to see South Africa, these sort of areas. Uh, we're not sure why he's here. We think he might have been blown off course. And I keep saying he, but we don't know if it's a male or a female. And the way to do the difference between a black-browed albatross, whether it's male or female, it depends on the diameter of the beak, and it's within millimetres. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> unless anybody's got some eagle eyes, which I um, highly doubt, uh, we won't know what gender it is. Um, now, the, reason, the other reason why it's so impressive is, so I, I said earlier that the gannet is six feet wingspan. This particular albatross, it's the smallest species of albatross, or one of the smallest species of albatross. And it has a wingspan of seven feet to eight feet. So it's a very large bird compared to the gannet. And lovely straight wings, 
like the formers like the formers yeah and has an this orange bill quite a large orange bill uh, and then as the na name suggests a black brow so it has black eyes with a black brow on either eye and it's just spectacular to watch unfortunately he's very unpredictable so like i can tell you here that these birds will be here from so puffins for example we see them from end of march to july and um, we have this the amount of puffins we have you're likely to see at least one when you come and visit depending on the time of year but the albatross he comes and goes so infrequently he doesn't seem to have a pattern I guess because he's got no mate to yeah. come back to it's, to feed and look after any chicks. It's difficult to say. That is probably the case um, because we know, for example, puffins in sort of March, April, early May, you're less likely to see them as often as you would in end of May, June, July. And that's because the start of the breeding season, they have an egg. So one of them will be with the egg in the nest and the other one will be out to see feeding and fatting them themselves up. Whereas at the end of the breeding season, they're going to have a chick and they're going to be coming back more frequently. Whereas the albatross doesn't have that. But what it does do is it tends to stay at uh, Staple Nuke, which is the one furthest the other way, to the right of the reserve. So we're to the left of the visitor centre and it's to the right of the visitor centre. And he does these weird circle flights, flies around a bit and then lands back on the cliff. Uh, he comes and goes as well, so sometimes he does that several times, sometimes he just does it once and then he's on the cliff and we we can't see him from the viewpoint. And another t other times he disappears out off to sea. And how long will he be gone for? Uh, difficult to say, sometimes it's a few hours, sometimes a few minutes, sometimes a few days. There's no real set pattern to it. And the albatross isn't the only exciting bird around at the moment because you had a flyover this we morning. We did have a flyover this morning. Um, some very excited volunteers, I have to say. Uh, we had European beaters fly across, which um, are a very sort of rare bird. Now, myself, I've seen them very commonly in the Mediterranean. You see hundreds of them in the Mediterranean and the south of Europe, but not here. Um, and we had a couple fly over on the car park this morning. <laughs> I think I might have exploded if I'd been the first person to spot that. That would have been quite something. I did say we did have some very happy RSPB volunteers <laughs> to go in and going, I've seen a beater! Because <laughs> um, volunteers are here because they enjoy nature and enjoy bird watching. And it's a, if it's a life bird, it's a bird you've never seen before. It's, and they're beautiful. They have all the colours of the rainbow. They're very beautiful birds. <laughs> I remember seeing some a couple of years ago and. I was in Nottinghamshire to quarry who were attempting to breed them. I'm not sure they were mm. successful in the end, um, but there were a group, I think, of about five or six of them together, which is absolutely stunning birds. They are, they're very, and they tend, they perch, they're lovely to see on, they like to perch on telephone wire, uh, and they're lovely to see all in their lines, and as the sun hits them, their, their colours just show up just fabulously. But they haven't been seen since this morning, so I'm not going to hold out my hopes for seeing them today. We just have to listen out for them because they have a very unique bird song so you just have to listen out for them. You're going to attempt to do that one? I'm not attempting to do that <laughs> one. I don't want to embarrass myself further than I already have. Let's <laughs> do a quick scan of the ocean just in case there's any dolphins or porpoises. You never know. Did see a porpoise on Monday. 
and it isn't too choppy so yeah it's a good dolphin day good dolphin and port harbour porpoise day but i'm afraid every time there are dolphin and porpoise it's not when i'm around so ah. you've come out with the wrong person today right you need to get back to the visitor <laughs> center <laughs> Do you see any other cetaceans and uh, there has here? been there has been reports of whales um off a few years ago um but it's mostly harbor porpoise and bottlenose dolphins. But the initial the initial directions were between Bevington and Flamborough. <laughs> oh that's um, not very but then the latest one says end of Bevington Cliff. So I think it was with people watching the albatross. Right. Well. Do you wanna just share your exciting news and also say who you are? Oh I can do so uh, my name is Will, uh, and I volunteer here. We're now just walking along because somebody's found a swallowtail butterfly, which is very rare up here. Can you explain why it's so rare for the listeners that might not know um, why we're so excited? Well, they're quite sort of range restricted um, and found in the south of England and in Europe. Um, it's probably these light, warm southerly winds that brought it up if, if it was seen coming in off the sea, um, which is quite exciting. I don't think there's ever been one. Uh, Bempton Cliffs before, so yeah. Oh, Bempton first! Bempton first! That's why we're all running, that's why you can see us all just like... <laughs> let's go, let's go! So to give a bit more context about the swallowtail butterfly, the subspecies in the UK um, is only found in Norfolk at a few nature reserves where the caterpillar feeds on a specific plant, so it's really, really restricted. I've seen the continental species broad, and I have seen the subspecies here in Norfolk, but I uh, didn't have any expectation whatsoever about the vague possibility that one could be here at Bempton. We probably won't see it, um, probably flown off, but you never know. We're in the southern half of the reserve at the minute. In fact, uh, further south than the southernmost uh, watch point because a bee eater has been seen. They were reported here very early this morning flying over the car park. Apparently they've come back flying northwards over the reserve, so fingers crossed. I didn't know, I only just heard about it as I was coming this way. Okay, because it sort of flew in this direction yeah. and then we've lost sight of it. Yeah. Okay. Eating a bee. Or doing whatever bee eaters do. <laughs> Look about. Um, so we've just had it on the radio that uh, the wildlife rescue is coming to release a rehabilitated guillemot. So when they get phone calls from the public, they take them in and feed them if they're dehydrated, if they're hungry, or water them if they're dehydrated. And then after a period of time, they come and release them here, even if they've not been rescued from here, because it's the safest point for them. So we've just had it on the radio that they're here to release them, and then we're on our way to our viewpoint now to see if we can see it. So my name's Katie Allen and I'm a keeper at Mablethorpe Seal Sanctuary. I'm with uh, Alex Masterman. We've just come to release a couple of guillemots that we've been rearing for a good few months now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did they come into your care? 
So both of them were found washed up on the beach at Mablethorpe, really skinny and really poorly. There's been uh, quite a shortage of sand eels recently along the coast and it's resulted in quite an influx of poorly guillemots coming in. Um, also needed a bit of help with their waterproofing, so it's just been a case of fattening them up and getting them used to getting in the water and getting out dry again. Yeah, you can just give a bit of Releasing a wild bird. It's got a good old hold on my finger. Okay, ready? Yep. Right. Three, two, one. Oh! He's gone! Look at him go! He's gone right off! So we're at our bird feeding station, which is actually tucked in away from the car park and away from the visitor centre. Um, and where we're sat, you just look across, we can, we've got quite a few bird feeders on, on posts there. And then we also have the tree sparrow nest boxes as well that are dotted around. Um, and this is just a lovely sheltered spot um, to get out of the way of the hustle and bustle of the visitor centre. It's shaded and all you can hear is birds. This is a really nice spot to finish the podcast on. Well, finish this part of the podcast on. There might be more if I see the albatross and switch the audio recorder back on. Yeah. Excitedly, we'll see. Um, but just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's been a really, really nice day. Yes, yeah, so you picked a very good day to come. <laughs> if you'd come on a rainy day, it wouldn't be me that were doing this. I'd have sent somebody else with you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So there was a taste of the RSPB reserve at Bempton Cliffs on the Yorkshire coast. Brilliant place that I've actually visited once upon a time, many years ago, and I took a boat out underneath those cliffs. And I can tell you the smell is quite outstanding. (laughs) Oh, when I say standing, outstanding, I mean staggering. But a brilliant place full of wildlife and full of wonders. And, well, talking of wonders... (laughs) <laughs> I'm in the studio with Jack, but just Jack this week. Yep, just me. Oh, well, it's a delight as always, Jack. Thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for making the time. Hannah is on holiday this week. and uh, Part-time. Part-time, yeah, part-time podcaster. You've been to Bempton Cliffs? Is it a new place for you? I don't think I've ever been there. No, Yorkshire Coast, interesting place. No, but it sounds it's similar to, I think I said before in another podcast when I went to Skoma Island, that yeah. sort of same thing of, Seeing a ton of birds on the cliff face, yeah, nesting it's, down. It's definitely that. It's that a place where you can really get close. The the main thing, the crazy thing about it is, most of our great seabird cities are on islands. I think earlier uh, last year, I went to Hander Island off the coast of Scotland. You've been to Skoma, and you can get a lot close to the puffins and things. But Bempton is actually on the mainland, so you kind of don't have to go. Boat, well, although I did go on a boat trip to see them from beneath <laughs> and get the smell of the guano, the dung, but. Uh, uh, yeah, you can, you, and that is the best way to see them. But Megan had a brilliant experience mm-hmm. with. Uh, she did also, and not make enough fanfare about this, but pick up the first podcast tree sparrow <laughs> really early on, which I sort of, I would have liked to have heard more of them because for those who don't know, we have two species of sparrows in Britain: house sparrow, which most people should be familiar with the chirpy little cheeky neighbour that lives in most gardens under your eaves and in your hedgerows. And then the tree sparrow, which is a much, much rarer bird, a little brown chestnutty head. And uh, it's very hard to very hard to find in the countryside these days, but there are good numbers there at Bempton. 
I kind of like the fact they've got all those bird feeders, as well as the kind of dramatic seabirds. Uh, you've got the bird feeders. So. Mm. Uh, one one demerit mark for Megan is the fact that black-browed albatross that comes every year. Have you heard about this albatross? No. It's this gigantic seabird. It sounds big. Alba- yeah, albatross, albatross in my well, head just yeah, sounds big. <laughs> and it turns up at Bempton every year, and it has been for quite a few years. I think six or seven years, maybe longer. It's a pretty regular summer visitor, and I think it's the only only member of that species that lives in the Northern Hemisphere, and somehow it's got its compass directions wrong yeah and it turns up every year looking for a mate and obviously is extremely disappointed but unfortunately on the day megan was there it didn't turn up so uh so we're gonna have to wait for our first albatross on the on the podcast but maybe not too long because i haven't told you this jack oh dear but we're sending someone to antarctica as a (laughs) one-off wow wait we're really (laughs) we're really branching out (laughs) yeah well more on this but james fair has mm. frequently appeared on the podcast and will appear later this season uh, as we <laughs> searching for wild daffodils. So it's a bit <laughs> of a, a bit of a, uh, well, you couldn't get more different to... Polar opposites. Polar opposites. Nice, <laughs> nice work. Yeah, so he'll be down there and I think he's going to come across some albatross, certainly some penguins. Brilliant. So we will see all sorts of things or hear all sorts of things. Uh, why are we going to Antarctica? Well, because we can, because <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, and it's just a bit of a diff- a bit of a change. So the podcast in the southern hemisphere for once. Talking of well, the podcast well, we've we've been we've we've had a we've had a good week. We've been nominated yeah, for an week. award. Yeah, what is the was it the Publishers Podcast Awards? <sighs> Publishers Podcast Award Podcast Awards. Let's not get ahead of our podcast yeah, awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very prestigious. Uh, they've been going for three or four five years now is it something like that yeah just i think the first one was pre-pandemic great great bunch very supportive of podcasting particularly publishers who are creating podcasts and we have been nominated a couple of times before we've never won it we're in the best hobbies and special interests podcast and we're up against six others including our friends at history extra who uh jack also edits them I do. Oh, my goodness. And then we've got one for, oh, we've got The Week Junior, and we've got, oh, there's loads of great ones. And The Sassy Show, people might have heard of that, Quantum Revolution, Towards Inclusive Excellence. I mean, yeah, so we're up against some, some very stiff competition. Stiff competition. So, uh, but we'll know in April. Yeah, fingers one. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting us. And another way you can support us is by getting in touch because we love to hear your emails. I'd love to hear you. We love to read you. Because <laughs> we, we love to get your emails and we like to get tweets and we like to get Facebook messages and all sorts of things for Instagram. And the very best message that we receive will get a book from the podcast library. So each, each week, if and when we get a lovely message, we will send, it, send out a book. We do have, I do have a message and it's a physical message. It's, it's on paper well, this time. It is on paper this time. This is actually from the author of a previous favourite email of the week. Uh, this is Graham Jackson, who lives in Holland, in the Netherlands. And he he's just following on. So we, he wrote in about how much he loved the podcast and it really helped him and get out into nature. And we got talking. He got he, he was He mentioned he cycles a lot. And that actually took him away from nature. So we had a bit of a chat in the podcast. He's got in touch and he just says, I... I just had a few more thoughts on the cycling versus walking debate. And it's all about walking is more immersive. 
And he says, cycling has many benefits and the infrastructure here in the Netherlands is so good it has pretty much replaced our need for a car. I'm really jealous. Back in Sounds Britain, good. I, yeah, our cycling network is growing, but not good enough. So I really appreciate the fact that my children view the bicycle as our primary mode of transport. Yet where many Dutch people see cycling as a form of recreation, for me, it's purely about getting from A to B. That said, whilst working in elderly care, my 20-minute bike ride to and from work would allow me to prepare for or process my shift. It's more relaxing than using the car, but I can't switch off in the same way that I can when I'm walking. I suppose it's a cultural thing too, and walking is an important part of my English identity. That last point, I don't know. I mean, is walking particularly an English thing to do, do you think? I don't know. I think it might be that whole benefit that we have of that we are quite a small island in the in the grand scheme of things. And it's quite or relatively easy to access the coast or the midlands and stuff like that there's you can get to everywhere you sort of want to get to whereas i guess in a in a bigger country or those that are landlocked you you're a bit more i guess you haven't got as many options um that yeah. we have i mean we do we are blessed with an amazing footpath network network which often gets trumpeted about sort of oh aren't you lucky you people with your access to uh, and i should say he says english identity i think probably being British identity is the whole yeah. sort of idea of. So yes, we do have a footpath network. I my parents lived in France for ten years, and there were footpaths around, but not in the same not in the same. People didn't go out. It's people didn't just go out for a walk, or it was always the holidaymakers or the English British incomers who went walking. In, in this is in Normandy, so possibly wasn't seen as kind of like a recreational thing just to go for a walk no i think it's also that that whole thing of a lot of people have the tradition on boxing day or on christmas day you have your big meal and you go for a walk a, just a, a waddle. yeah yeah a little waddle out and i think that's just that's an interesting thing as well that i think it may, it may happen other places in the world but it seems a very british thing to do is you have your meal and you just go for a stroll around you yeah yeah that's it it's a, yeah i i you're right. I think it's become, we have these sort of set walks, the, the Sunday afternoon walk, the Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon walk, definitely in my part of my childhood. We didn't walk on any other days apart from no. Saturday afternoon yeah. and then back for the football scores. Is that sort of... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Graham, thank you. Thought-breaking. I wonder whether people listening could send in their thoughts. Is it part, you know, because we've got listeners around the world. Is walking part of your national identity or is it part of something that you feel you do but it isn't sort of because I, I i've spent a bit of time in texas and a couple of other places in north america apart from the wonderful big trails like the appalachian trail yeah, yeah. Those sort of things, there's not a lot of footpaths and i mean texas i couldn't walk anywhere I had to drive every single place until you found a place to walk but you had to drive to it yeah you can just walk from your door i guess it's also interesting if anyone's out there in a place where like here we they, we have no worries about being attacked by an animal <laughs> no, or anything no, like no, that. Like badgers. Badgers. Yeah, the, 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 we the take most. Hannah with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look after. But I know obviously there's some places where there's, there's bears, snakes, stuff like that, where actually you've got a bit, bit more in alert going for yeah. a walk rather than our usual sort of dilly-dally through, yeah, <laughs> through so the green space. Yeah, so, And then... Yes, and sort of, oh my God, I had a terrible time with the nettles today. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the dot leaf? (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. We don't have anything to be particularly terrified of out on a walk. And um, 
Yeah, gosh, well, there's lots of debate about that. That's another podcast, rewilding and bringing back dangerous creatures to, that uh, keep us on our toes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Graham, thank you. Yeah, really, really interesting and thought-provoking. And as I say, if you have any thoughts about the whole joy of being outside in nature, walking podcasts about nature, get in touch. You can email me, editor at countryfile.com. Well, that's just about it for this week. I just need to say a big, big heartfelt thank you to Megan Shersby and the staff at RSPB Bempton for their time and wonderful insight into the wild world there. And I look forward to heading there myself. Do go if you get a chance. But for now, from me and Jack in the podcast studio, it's goodbye. Join us again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>